welcome this morning. Hey, it is good to be with you once again. Hey, and special shout out to any of you that are joining us on campus for the first time or any of you watching online for the first time. Welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and I'm going to go ahead and lead us in that time. And so hopefully, as Joel said, you already pulled out those green and white message note sheets. I'm going to pray, but Rocky Peak, I got to tell you, I'm ready to give you everything I got. Are you ready this morning? All right, let's, let's pray together. You know, Jesus, each service during worship, I've had to pause and just reflect on how good you are. I've had to pause and reflect on that you have given us your presence. You have given us your grace and mercy. You have given us your spirit. You have given us your holy conviction to root out sin in our life. Jesus, ultimately, you have given us your life, life into the full. And I want to start this time together to not only say, thank you, King Jesus, but as an individual, on behalf of my brothers and sisters, as a church, we beautifully say, Jesus, give us more. Give us more of who you are. Give us more of, all of the life only you can bring. Give us more healing. Give us more transformation. Jesus, we are here because we desire more and we know that you have more to give. And so as we go into this time of teaching, Jesus, as I often pray the precious words of John the Baptist, as a communicator, I pray that I fall to the wayside, that it not be about me. And I pray that you, King Jesus, as the Messiah and the Christ, become much, much more. Jesus, ultimately, we're not going to say, speak, because you already are. As your church, we're committed to listening to what you have to say. And it's in your name, King Jesus, we all said, amen. All right, Bible's open, apps on. For the third time in the series, we are coming in hot, Rocky Peak. We are going to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and starting at verse 19, it says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Would you underline or highlight that phrase, sincere heart? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now let's pause and unpack a little bit of the context. See, what's happening is the original recipients of this letter were Jewish believers in Jesus who were spread out throughout the Roman Empire. And so some of the language that we read, the most holy place, a high priest, the curtain, this was language that these recipients were familiar with from the Old Testament. This was Jewish temple worship. And not just in this passage, but throughout the letter to the Hebrews, what the author is reminding his Jewish audience of is that everything that Israel hoped for is fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah. And the reason why he writes this letter to encourage, to remind those Jewish believers 
is because they were experiencing a very real temptation to abandon Jesus, to abandon being part of the church and to go back, for lack of a better term, to the old ways of simply being, quote, just Jewish. And so we need to ask why. Why were they experiencing this very real temptation? And to become good Bible students, one of the best ways we can do that is simply by asking a lot of questions. And one of the key questions to ask is, what was the original audience going through when these words were written? And so the letter to the Hebrews is dated around the year 68 AD. So this is about 34, 35, 36 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And in 68 AD, the Roman Empire had become life-threateningly hostile to the believers uh, in Jesus, had become life-threatening hostile to the church. And so for some of you, if you remember your ancient history classes, around 68 AD marked the end of Emperor Nero's persecution of Christ followers, meaning numerous Christians were brutally murdered because of their faith. Not only that, but around 68 AD, two of the most high profile leaders of the early church of Jesus, the apostle Peter and the apostle Paul had both been killed, had both been martyred because of their faith. So let's pause for a moment and emotionally connect with that. The loss, the pain, the exhaustion, the cost of being a Christ follower had gone become shockingly high. Often in our culture today, we throw around the word persecution. This is persecution. And so for many of us, we can honestly empathize and relate why this group of believers was considering quitting and going back to what they knew, going back to what is easier. And what the author of this letter is reminding them and reminding us that the solution is never going to be found in, quote, better circumstances. The solution is always going to be found in our hearts being rooted in the never-changing person of Jesus the Messiah. Because he goes on in the next verse, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly. I love that word because it's unusual. It catches your attention. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Would you underline, highlight, put a big box around the word faithful. And again, what a wonderful encouragement for us today in this day and age that he doesn't say that he who promised God will be faithful at the end of all this. He says, he who promised is faithful right now. Christ follower in your pain, in your hurt, in your temptation, in your suffering, in your confusion, whatever it may be, God is faithful. And with that, he continues. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The capitalized D in many of our Bibles, day means the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. But would you do me the favor and underline and highlight the first part of verse 25, not giving up meeting together. Now, as I sit and read this slowly, for those of you that remember that from last week, 
as I chew on that, that strikes me as unusual because we've talked a little bit about what they were facing, the persecution and the loss. And yet here the author is not just saying, hey, if you can work it in, if it's convenient to you, he's actually giving them a charge. Some are stopping to meet together. Do not stop gathering because this is essential. He's telling the church, the saints to continue to gather. And what's really interesting to me about that is that shows that he's got a big view of what it means to be church. He's got a big view of what happens when the church gathers. See, as they talk, as the New Testament talks about church, it's not referring to a fixed physical location because for the early church, their location kept changing. There were times when they met in the temple or the temple courts. There were times in which they met in homes. In a season like this, there were times in which they were meeting in caves and catacombs at night to not get caught. But he's saying, hey, whether it's two or three or a larger group, don't stop meeting. And and what he's reminding us, because when the saints gather, it is far more than a good routine to keep up. It is far more than simply something you check off a Christian to-do list. When the saints gather, it is supernatural. Don't stop. Because when we get together, God speaks to us. There in your note sheet, Herman Bavnik, who was a Dutch theologian, wrote this in around 1909 or so. And he writes that the church in its entirety, each local church and each individual believer shares the same benefits, partake of the same Christ, are in possession of the same spirit, and by that spirit are led to one and the same Father. And so when we gather together as the church, we are gathered together, that's the key word, to learn and grow, to be transformed. We are gathered so that together we can learn more how to love God, how to love others, and together learn how to receive the incredible love God has for us. When we gather so that we can learn together how to worship, declare, and proclaim that Jesus is King, we gather so that together we can repent and experience forgiveness and renewal in our life. Ultimately, what the author of Hebrews is reminding us of is that we gather together as the community of believers what is called the church so that together we can listen and follow the leadership of Jesus in our lives. And that's what we're going to unpack together this morning. Like Joel mentioned, we are concluding a three-week miniseries called Listen and Follow. And if you've been at Rocky Peak for any length of time, you've heard that phrase that really is the heartbeat of who we are as a church. Our vision is that we would become a people, we would be a community who is under the beautiful leadership of King Jesus to learn to listen and follow to his authority in our lives. And the reason why we're doing this mini series is we're focusing on that listening piece because for many Christ followers, that can seem intimidating or confusing. And so throughout this series, we've been doing two things. One, we've been unpacking God's 
big picture vision for us listening to his voice and then looking at practical ways we can begin to develop those rhythms. And if you remember in week one, Joel kicked things off by saying, we are created to listen to God's voice. It's not reserved for the elite, but it's for all believers. And the two primary ways that God speaks are through his word and through his spirit. Last week, we talked about the fact that listening, recognizing God's voice above all the others is not an automatic switch being flipped. It's something that we learn to do. It's a learned skill. And so we have a beautiful opportunity to say, Jesus, teach me how to recognize your voice above all others. And today, this beautiful truth we're gonna unpack together that God's leadership, God's voice, listening and following is not limited to an individual but God desires for his church, his community to learn what it means to listen and follow together. And so to be able to do that, like we did briefly last week with prayer and scripture, we need a bigger view of how God sees the church. We need a bigger view of what church is and what, is, what, we're, what we are called to do when we gather together because it is by having a bigger view of this beautiful entity called the church that we begin to see that a big view of church is the foundation of learning how to listen and follow together. So there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Deconstructing the Movie Theater. And hear me, I'm not here to guilt and shame. I'm here to learn and be vulnerable with you that there have been times and seasons in my life as a believer in which I've had a very low view of church. I've had a low view of what church is, a low view of what we do when we gather together. And when I have a low view, when I don't prioritize it as such, it becomes hard to hear God's leadership in this setting. And I think a lot of us could probably relate to that, that this happens unintentionally. Rarely do we find a Christ follower wake up in the morning and go, I really want a low view of church. I really want a minimal view of church, but it happens. It happens at the pace of life. It happens due to our sins. It happens when we're not pursuing God. And so what happens in a low view of church is that the act of going to church, participating in a church starts becoming routine and mundane. It starts becoming comfortable. It starts becoming safe. It starts becoming limited. What happens at church, it's cool, but once I leave, it's done. It starts becoming all about me and what I want and my preferences, and it was a good experience that morning if they played the songs I wanted to hear, if it was the preacher I wanted to hear, if it was a passage that made me feel good or anything like that. And again, unintentionally, but to pull on this analogy a little bit, church becomes a movie theater. Now, don't get me wrong, Rocky Peak, when it comes to actually watching movies, I adore a movie theater experience. There is nothing better to me than a movie on a big screen. That picture you see up there is Megan and I at the premiere, at the opening night, premiere sounds fancy, at opening night of Avengers Endgame, one of my favorite in theater experiences. I love a movie theater experience, but what makes a movie theater experience successful? Did it entertain me? Did it give me what I want? Everything about a movie theater experience being successful revolves around me. 
and my preferences. Did I like the movie? Were these chairs comfortable? Now in this day and age, did they recline enough? Was there an appropriate amount of butter on my jumbo popcorn? And when we leave the movie theater experience, what are we talking about? We're talking about, did it entertain me? Was it successful for me? Did I like this? Did I not like it? But ultimately, a movie theater experience is limited. Come, entertain me, leave, and we're done. And again, unintentionally, many of us approach the church that same way. We show up, we sit down, we say, show me what you got. And then we leave. And it's done. And a lot of times our conversation or our evaluation was, did it like me? Did I get anything out of it? Can they stop telling me to get involved? All of those things. If we're gonna hear God's voice together, we need a much bigger view. And so we talk how often we can see the church. The better question is how does Jesus see his church? And there in your note sheet, you got a fill in that says, there is nothing ordinary about Jesus's church. There is nothing ordinary about Jesus's church. It's a supernatural community. It is a supernatural community. And let's talk about ourselves as individual Christ followers. Think about what it means to be a Christ follower. I'll use my own story. At some point in my life, for me, specifically when I was 15 years old, the Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that Jesus is real, that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be, that he is king, that he is Lord. The Holy Spirit opened my eyes to see that the only solution to my sin, which has condemned me for all of eternity, is the grace and mercy and forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And so in beautiful repentance, I said, Jesus, become Lord in my life. And that wasn't a one and done experience. That was the beginning of an eternal journey. So much so that the Lord gave me his spirit to mark me for all time. There is nothing ordinary about that. As living, breathing Christ followers, we are the result of Jesus's ongoing supernatural work. Now, as I talk about that with my story, as we gather together, I get to look around. We get to look around and see that we're not the only ones. If you are here this morning as a living, breathing Christ follower, you are a declaration and a reflection that God does the supernatural that we are now a forgiven and empowered people that are being led by his spirit, his voice, and this gathering, this collection called the church, which Jesus refers to as his body, which he refers to as his bride. Our priorities have changed. And so it's no longer, what are you gonna do for me? It's now, how do we come and worship Jesus the King? There's nothing ordinary about the church. In fact, as we look throughout scripture, there's three key characteristics of Jesus's church. And there in your note sheet, let's walk through these briefly. The first characteristic is that the church is holy. Because of Jesus, the church is holy. 
And at its simplest, to be holy means that we have been set apart. We are now called to be different because of Jesus in our lives. And what I love about this proper view of holiness is that you hear me say this often when I'm teaching that God didn't, doesn't transform us so that we become slightly better versions of who we were before. God has come into our lives to radically transform us from the inside out until we don't resemble who we were, but we now resemble Jesus the King. There in your note sheet, the apostle Peter puts it, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy because I am holy. And Peter is quoting Leviticus. We see that throughout all of scripture, God's vision is for his people to be a holy people. And hear me, holiness is not a declaration of perfection. We are not saying we are perfect. In fact, one of the most holy things we can do is regularly acknowledge I am far from perfect, but I follow a perfect savior. And it is his voice that leads us as individuals. It is his voice that leads us as a church into God's holiness so that his identity now becomes ours. The church is holy. The second characteristic, the church is universal. One of my favorite comedians of all time is Groucho Marx from the famous Marx Brothers. In fact, in my home, in our living room, I have a framed picture of Groucho Marx next to a framed picture of Lucille Ball. And one of the things that I love so much about Groucho was he just had a sharp tongue. He was incredibly quick-witted. And there on your note sheet is one of his most famous one-liners. I refuse to join a club that would have me as a member. But there's actually a deep truth about life in that joke. What he's saying is that he's fully aware that there are places he's qualified to be a part of, and there are places he is not qualified to be a part of. In fact, if we were to flip that analogy, so to speak, we would all say that there are people in the world that we would welcome into our spaces and community, and there are also people that honestly we would not welcome into our spaces and community. That tends to be how we live as people, but when it comes to God's people, his church, he has a radically different and bigger vision. Jesus's church is for all. That sounds like a beautiful Christian platitude, doesn't it? And so I'm gonna ask you to just pause and feel the weight of the word all. Jesus's church is for all, not just the people that you like or agree with you, not just the people that you hope join your life group, but the people that you would find yourself vehemently at odds with, people that at one point you might call your enemies. Often in scripture, look at the apostle Paul. He was murderous and bloodthirsty and a persecutor. Jesus changed his life and what did he do? Go to church. And they were scared and wondering, really, that guy? Jesus's church is for all, but not so we can stay as we were. Jesus's church is for all creation to repent, be transformed, and to now follow the leading of Jesus the King. And again, the beautiful thing about this truth is that I think sometimes we forget how big Jesus's church is. Rocky Peak is an awesome local church, but let's be clear, Rocky Peak is not the 
church. We are part of Jesus's church. And in fact, we are a small part of Jesus's church. This very weekend, if we just look at that in a limited sense of just this weekend alone, there are churches, Christ followers that are gathering in buildings like this that are, that are purposed solely for that. This weekend alone, there are people that are gathering at the church in local elementary schools or high school gyms. There are churches gathering in homes or backyards. There are Christ followers, our brothers and sisters who are gathering underground. There are Christ followers gathering in nations like ours that allow them the beautiful freedom to worship. There are Christ followers that are gathering in nations in which if they're found out, they will be imprisoned or possibly worked. This weekend alone, there is there are churches in which they are worshiping, they are reading the word of God in English, in Spanish, in French, in Swahili, in Hebrew, in Chinese, in Ukrainian. We could go on and on and on. There are churches of two or three people. There are churches of thousands. There are churches on every continent. There are Christ followers of every age. Do we understand that? They may be different. Their circumstances may be different, but why are we all gathering this weekend? Because we have been saved by the same Jesus. And most importantly, as we think about how big, the, of how big the church of Jesus is, this weekend alone, there are numerous churches that are gathering filled with former enemies that are now family because of the work of Jesus in their lives. The church is universal. And the final characteristic of the church, the church is on mission. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Again, we emphasize the word all. In Acts chapter one, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses to the very ends of the earth. The institution that Jesus gave that mission to is the church. There in your note sheet from Matthew chapter 16, and I tell you that you are Peter. Some of you are familiar Famously, when Jesus renamed Simon into Peter, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And two things I wanna point out about the scripture. One, when he renamed Peter, he was not yet the person that Jesus was envisioning, but he knew what Peter could be if he followed the, the leading of Jesus in his life. But secondly, as I mold this verse over slowly, I noticed something, I heard something that I'd never thought of before, the gates of hell. Gates are defensive. Gates are a defensive mechanism. And so what is Jesus telling his church? To go on the offensive, to go where the enemy has taken territory, to go where there are people that don't yet know the beauty of Jesus, to go where there are captives still held, still held in darkness and to use the weapons of life, the weapons of love and the weapons of truth that all of those are only found in Jesus of King and together as a church to smash the gates of hell not to watch our enemies burn, but to see their lives transformed by the savior that is Jesus. Because what's convicting to me about this is as our world and our culture seems to grow increasingly hostile towards Jesus and his teaching, 
I face a temptation like the recipients of the letter to want to run. Maybe not to abandon my faith, but to want to run away from, quote, the enemies, to want to stay with people that think and believe like I do, to concede territory and go, fine, you can have this community, you can have this school, you can have California. I face this temptation to run. And what I see in the New Testament is the opposite. We have a, two letters to the city of Corinth. We have a letter to the church in Rome. If we just look at those two ancient cities, those were two cities in the Roman world that were incredibly hostile to the name of Christ. Those were two cities that were incredibly godless by worshiping pagan pantheons and gods. Those were two cities that had lost their way sexually, had lost their way politically. Those are two cities that were as far away from God as you could imagine. And I look at those and go, man, I feel like I should run. God looked at those cities and went, that's where we need a church. Go. It's not your strength. It's not your wisdom. It's not your abilities. It's God's spirit in you. It's his voice leading you. And it is through his resurrection that he will smash the gates of hell. How do we become individuals, let alone a church that are any of these three? The only way we do is by individually and together to listen and follow the leading of King Jesus in our lives. And before we move on, we gotta acknowledge a painful truth. Jesus is perfect. The church is filled with imperfect people. There are times in which the institution, the local church is living this out. And then there are honest times in which the church has failed, in which the church has lost their way, in which the church has hurt and hurt people deeply. It seems like every couple of months, there's another set of documentaries on Hulu about a church or leadership that has fallen. And even as we see this, as Paul writes to churches like in Corinth, the root of a church losing their way is they stop listening to the voice of Jesus, as they stop listening to Jesus's leadership in their life. But you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't quit on his church. He doesn't quit on his bride. He is graceful and merciful and says, repent, hear my voice and come back. And I will lead you together to be the church I have always envisioned. And so that's the big picture foundation we need. Before we talk about the practical, can we just take a moment to just pause and pray? Can I invite you, as I often do, would you just take one or two breaths where you're at? And as I say, that's not magic. Nothing magical is happening. I just find for myself, taking a couple of deep breaths slows me down and focuses me. And just in the stillness of your head and the stillness of your heart, would you pray simply, Jesus, teach me to see your church as you do. Jesus, teach me to see your church as you do. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we got some big picture. What does this look like practically? Well, there in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Listening Together Two Key Ways. 
There is a variety of ways that Jesus teaches us how to listen to his leadership together as a community. What I wanna do with the time we have left is I just wanna focus on two key ways that the Lord's been using and teaching, in teaching me in my life over these last couple of years. And so the first one is this. We listen together by preparing ahead of time. We listen together by preparing ahead of time. And one thing I love about God's vision for all of us as believers is that his vision is often summed up with the word more. He wants us to experience more. He wants to experience more of him. He wants to experience more beauty. And that's especially true in community. And so for us to really together listen to the voice of God in our lives as a church, what we need to do is we need to redefine our wind. We need to move the goalpost, so to speak, because often many of us, our win when it comes to church is showing up. And I don't wanna guilt and shame because that can be really complicated for many of you. And that's something that should be celebrated, especially parents of young kids showing up to church somewhat on time with them somewhat dressed and fed is an accomplishment. Please don't hear anything otherwise. So what I'm saying by preparing ahead of time is Jesus doesn't simply want us to show up. He wants us to experience more when we're here and how we experience more in any aspect of life is by preparing preparing before we show up because by preparing, it creates an expectation, it creates an anticipation and it creates an awareness that we didn't have before. And so when we take the time to prepare for coming to church or going to life group, it prepares our hearts to be more aware that God is going to speak during these times. Because what I find in my life is when I don't prepare, that's when I miss out on the more that God has for me. Let me illustrate it this way. So going back several years in the summer of 2007, Megan and I got the opportunity to go to Australia in the summer. And that was a dream come true. She had wanted to go her entire life. I just wanted to see what a kangaroo looked like. And so we went and we spent most of our time in the city of Sydney. Now, one thing I had no idea about until we got there is Australia is in a different hemisphere. That means their seasons are reversed. So we went in our summer, but we were showing up in their winter. And for the most part, it actually didn't make any sort of difference. Australia is hot. And so it was nice and comfortable until we went to an area called the Blue Mountain Region. And so we were told that a, about a two hour train ride from the city of Sydney, it leads you to this area of untouched nature that I can only describe as Yosemite on steroids. And so we're like, we need to go spend the day and check it out. We had big hopes and big plans. And so we hop on the train and we got off and immediately what we discovered, it was freezing. And again, there's not much to me, but I'm a Southern California boy through and through. And so for me, it was between 40 and 50 degrees, which for me was absolutely freezing. And we realized very quickly, we are not prepared for this. 
I was dressed pretty much in what you see except for a thin Quicksilver hoodie. We were running around trying to go on hikes, shivering and chattering. At one point, it started snowing. <laughs> Nothing we were wearing was waterproof. Andre, would you show that picture up? This is what we had to resort to. So Megan had to take her scarf. And if you grow up in California, what we call scarves are not really scarves because they are decorative. They offer no protection because you will see that her weave has a lot of holes in it. The best we could resort to was she took that scarf and wrapped it around her head in a vain effort to try to stay warm. And the reality is, was after a while, we had to quit throwing the towel and say, we need to go back. We weren't prepared, but here's the thing I want you to catch. It wasn't an intentional defiance. We didn't know that we weren't prepared until it was pointed out in a very teeth-chattering way. And we got to experience some, but we missed out on the more we could have experienced had we been prepared ahead of time. And so again, a key way that together we listen to the voice of God when we gather is to come prepared. Now, there are many ways we can prepare ahead of time. I'm gonna give you a simple and yet profound way. And in fact, this is gonna be the thread that you're gonna see carries us through the rest of our time. And that's this, we prepare by praying. For those of you that regularly attend Rocky Peak or any other local church, it shouldn't come to a as a shock that Sunday is always coming you know that Sunday is coming. And so in anticipation, we have the opportunity to pray. And let me encourage you to use this simple prayer. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice at church. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice at church. And feel free to get specific. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice through the music and worship as the songs are declarations as to who you really are and who I am as a result. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice through the teaching of your word. There's times in which that's going to be easy. There's times in which that's going to be difficult, but Jesus, prepare my heart. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice through serving, through getting involved. Like Joy said, Joel said, this isn't a spectator sport. This is an all team effort. And sometimes the most beautiful and profound way we hear the voice of God speaking to us at church is by serving. Jesus, prepare my heart to hear your voice when, we come, when I come to church or come to life group or go get involved with CR or serve in kids ministry. Jesus, prepare my heart. And what I love about that prayer and the simplicity of it is that you can pray it alone. You can pray it with your friends. You can pray it with your spouse's parents. Let me encourage you, pray that with your children to begin developing in them an expectation for when they come. And so we listen to God's voice together by preparing ahead of time. And imagine the transformation that will happen in our gatherings if the majority of us start showing prepared, up prepared. Man, that's gonna be an unleashing like no other. So that's the first way that we learn to listen together. The second one is by wrestling. 
We learn to listen together by wrestling. And I'm using that visual picture, a type of like Olympic wrestling, so to speak. And wrestling is a great metaphor for what it feels like internally when we feel challenged. Wrestling is a great metaphor for what we feel like internally when we feel challenged in how we think, when we feel challenged in what we believe, when we feel challenged in how we feel about something or someone or a combination of all three, we wrestle because when we feel challenged, often it's hard to accept someone else's viewpoint, even if we're convinced they're dead wrong or it's hard to let it go. And the reason why uniquely I'm saying this is a way that we learn to listen to God together because this is a truth of how God designed his church. God does not design his church to be safe and comfortable. God intentionally designed his church to be challenging. Because wrestling, challenge, is a key opportunity to drive us into God's presence to say, this is hard. I don't like this. This is what I'm feeling. Jesus, speak into this. Wrestling and challenging is designed to drive us into God's presence in a way nothing else can, to say, Jesus, speak into this. Because again, if I can be vulnerable, when I feel challenged, I often have an immediate reaction. I often have an immediate thought. I often have an immediate feeling And the reality is often I equate whatever I feel immediately to be God's will. This feels right and good to me. This makes sense to me. Obviously, this is God's will. And so this is the direction we're gonna go. And so if you remember last week, we talked about that spiritual warfare, victory in spiritual warfare is found in slowing down rather than running faster. And so what God has been doing to teach me, to break me of my pride, is that when I feel challenged in any of those areas, it's an opportunity for me to take my raw and honest emotions, my raw and honest thoughts. We are not meant to ignore and to act like that's not what we're feeling, but to go before King Jesus and to say, Jesus, speak into this, to go before the safest person in our lives and to be unfiltered and go, I don't like this, I don't agree with this. I don't like them. I don't like what they are doing to go before King Jesus and to ask Jesus, how should I be thinking about this? How should I be feeling about this? And ultimately to say, Jesus, I need you in this area. And when we have radical authenticity, honesty, and we go and radically declare, Jesus, I am completely dependent on you. That's when we hear the voice of God. And so what does God do? He created this beautiful mess called the church to be a place of challenge, to drive us into his presence. And specifically, God created his church to challenge us through two types of people. The first one you're filling is this. God created his church so that we wrestle with him, wrestle with God. Verse 
Many of you have had this experience. At some point, you're gonna come across something in scripture you don't like. At some point, you're gonna come across something in scripture that challenges you deeply. At some point, you're gonna come across something in scripture, maybe in a life group study, maybe through a teaching, maybe through an act of worship, maybe just in your one-on-one time with God, you're gonna come across something in scripture that you're gonna be like, nope, I was on board with you, God, up until this point. God, I don't understand, nor do I want to love those people. God, I don't, I can't bring myself to show forgiveness after what they've done. At some point, some of us are gonna go, God, I'm okay with these other areas, but God, I do not want to give you my sex life or my sexual identity. God, I do not want to give you my money because I don't trust what you're gonna do with it. God, I don't want to give you my priorities. I'm still mad that Dre said, slow down. Because all I know how to do is move Fast And when we gather together as a church, we focus a significant amount of our time to teach God's word so that God's word can challenge us. And when we experience that challenge, again, God invites us into his presence to say, what do you feel? What is your truth? And we can be raw and unfiltered with God because he can take it. And... He can speak into it. And so the church is designed to challenge us so that we learn to wrestle with God. But the second group that we wrestle with there in the is with others, other people. The church is universal. And so that means there's gonna be different personalities, different priorities, different passions, different opinions. When you get a lot of uniquely different people together, are they living out that scene and it's a small world and everybody's singing and happy and harmony? No. When you get different people together, what do you get? Tension. You get disagreement. You get this very honest temptation to go, man, church would be awesome if everybody was like me. And sometimes we give in to the temptation to find a church that is just that. I want to find a group of people or a life group or a serving community that are just like me. And ultimately, as we talk about God leading us in our lives above anything else, what is Jesus's vision for us? What is he trying to teach us to be and do? Love. He's trying to teach us how to love as he loves us, which is undeserved, which is regardless of the circumstances. Here is the truth. Love often doesn't grow when it's easy. Love often grows in the challenge because then we have to choose and make a commitment and learn to love. And so then we see God's intentional design. And so what does he do? He gathers the church, which is filled with people that are easy to love and people that are difficult to love. Parents, think about it. Loving your kids would be easy if they weren't involved. (laughs) Loving your boss would be easy if they weren't there. Loving your spouse was easy if they weren't involved. Loving your brothers and sisters in community would be great if they weren't here. People are gonna people. 
And so again, what do we see? We're not called to walk away. We're called to learn how to love one another. And I've shared this before, but we see this in Jesus's design in how and who he chose to be his, one of his 12 disciples. I'm often amazed at the truth that Jesus calls Matthew, who was a Jewish tax collector, meaning he betrayed his people to serve the Roman empire. And not only that, he betrayed his people because Matthew became incredibly rich by stealing and embezzling and and taking. He was a criminal of the highest regard in Jewish eyes, and he was called to be a disciple. Jesus calls another man called Simon who was a zealot and the zealots were on the other political end of this political spectrum than Matthew. The zealots hated the godless empire that was Rome with such a passion that many of them viewed murder and terrorism as an appropriate response to get Rome out of their religious lives. And so we have Matthew and we have Simon the zealot in the same life group. How awkward was that? Because they're enemies, politically, socially, economically, even spiritually. I can't imagine how awkward some of those arguments and debates got. I can imagine how awkward some of those lunch times or dinner settings got. I can't imagine how awkward it was for the other disciples to look at them and go, really, those guys? And why did Jesus do that? to teach them how to love, to teach them how to love in a new and radical way. And was it easy? No. Was it a journey that took time? Yeah. But what happened at the end of their lives? They died in the name of Jesus. They died on the same team. They died as brothers. That's what Jesus does. That's how he loves and that's how he empowers us to love. And the only way we can learn to love difficult people is by being around difficult people. I love how Scott Sauls puts it there in your note sheet. He was a pastor under Tim Keller in New York for many, many years. Now he's a pastor in Tennessee. And he says that surprisingly, Paul begins his confrontational first letter to the Corinthians with affirmation and assurance. In spite of their manifold flaws, sins, inconsistencies, hypocrisies, and weaknesses. Let's pause right there. That's quite a list, isn't it? God doesn't ignore the sin in our lives. But in spite of all that, he is hopeful for them. Not because they are a stellar people, but because Jesus is a stellar Savior. And so how do we learn to listen to God's voice by wrestling with our family, one another? Again, for the third time, we pray. We pray, we go before Jesus and we say, Jesus, teach me how to love this person as you do. Teach me how to love this person as you do. Teach me how to call out sin as you do. Teach me the secondary areas I need to let go and learn to bear and live in harmony. Teach me of when I'm intentionally changing my walking pattern to avoid them on the patio. 
teach me when you want me to jump into a ministry that I think is gonna be filled with complicated people. Jesus, teach me, remind me that I am a complicated person. Jesus, teach me to have a humility because as I'm praying over loving this person, there's someone at Rocky Peak praying over loving me. Jesus, teach me how to love as you do. And so then what happens together? Well, it makes me think of the passage we shared during worship last week, that in the young prophet Samuel's life, when he learned that it was the Lord's voice calling him, he said, speak for your servant is listening. That's our opportunity as individuals, but that's also our opportunity together. And so Rocky Peak, my hope and my charge, not simply as a leader, but as somebody who's learning this alongside you, is that we would be a community that says, Jesus, speak, for your church is listening. Amen? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come on out. And as we go into this final song, this song is intended to be a celebratory song. As we've been saying throughout this entire series, because of Jesus's grace, we get to hear his voice. Because of Jesus's mercy, we get to have his leadership in our life. Because of Jesus's death and resurrection, we now get to call him our good shepherd. And so as we go into this final song that is celebrating his faithfulness, that word we highlighted in our Bible, let this be a beautiful prayer and declaration that this series and service may be over, but let us declare through joyful noise that the work of God speaking in our lives is just getting started, amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are speaking. Jesus, you are speaking through your word. You are speaking through your spirit. You are speaking through prayer. You are speaking through wise counsel. You are speaking in our joys. You are speaking in our suffering. You are speaking through nature and creation. Jesus, you are not silent. But often it's me that gets in the way. And Jesus, I confess that there's times in which I trust my heart and pride over you. There's times in which I wanna follow after what's comfortable and what works out better for me instead of asking Jesus, what do you wanna do? Jesus, there are times in which I'm standing on the right truths and the right platforms, but I'm facing, but I'm going after them the wrong way. Jesus, the beautiful thing about learning to listen and follow your leadership is that you have invited us at every step, at every moment to say, Jesus, what do you want to say into this? Thank you that you're active. Thank you that you're present. Thank you again for being our shepherd and leading these wayward sheep. And so as we sing this song, oh man, we wanna sing it loud. We wanna sing it out of tune. We wanna sing it unashamed. You are good, your gospel is good, your forgiveness is good, and we are excited for what you are gonna continue to do as we leave this place. And it's in your name we all said, amen.